Welcome to Woodshop Life Podcast, a bi-weekly podcast focused on the craft of woodworking. My name is Guy of Guy's Woodshop, and I'm joined by Hui Huin, also known as the Alabama Woodworker. Say hello, Hui. Good evening, Guy. Good evening, Hui. And Sean Walker, creator of Simple Cove. How's it going? Good, good. So this podcast is intended to answer questions from the woodworking community and give you guys some of our perspectives on how we get things done in our own shops. And we also have a Patreon account. Right now we have one level and we are simply asking for a small donation just to try to cover the cost of bringing you this awesome podcast. So please go to patreon.com slash woodshoplife. And I'd also like to say hello to our newest patron, which is Danny Taylor. Thank you, Danny. And we sincerely hope that you'll give us your support in the future. So uh, also stay tuned to the end of the show to hear about what we've got going on in our own shops. And uh, I think we're ready for our first question. And that goes to Hui. All right. This question is from Garrett. He says, good morning, fellas. Uh, it's evening here in uh, Alabama. I don't know. Is it evening where you guys are? Probably. No, it's, it's 7 a.m. or 7 a.m. <laughs> I have a question about timing a unique finishing option when assembling an outdoor closet used for storing shovels, rakes, etc. I'm making the closet out of white oak and it will be hanging off of the back of my brick outdoor fireplace. Lately, the internet cannot decide what to call the finish I want to use. So I'm just going to say that I want to do a burned char wood finish. The question is, when to do it? I want to do traditional mortise and tendon assembly where the bottom is mortised into the sides and the sides into the top. Do I burn all the wood first, then cut the joinery? Do joinery then burn while avoiding the joinery locations or assemble the whole thing and burn as one piece? Any help would be greatly appreciated and keep up the great work. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, we're not going to go into any debate as to what it's called. I mean, I know some people say that uh, what it was originally called was not what it was intended. Doesn't matter. So it's burning or charring wood to kind of give that really dark finish on the wood itself and then uh, sanding it back with like steel wool or whatnot. Uh, so I've seen it before. I've actually never done it before, uh, but I would guess that doing so, doing the joinery after you've burnt the wood is probably not going to make that wood level anymore. Uh, and that would defeat the purpose of what you're trying to do because, well, then you'd have to level the wood to be able to do the joinery, right? You always want to have make sure that your material is square and flat before you do your joinery. So I would probably not recommend that. I would probably either do burning the individual pieces, making sure to avoid the tenons and the mortises, or assembling the whole piece as one and then burning it all as one. The only problem is, is that depending on what you are using as a blowtorch or or a flame unit for the piece itself, you might want to avoid the or you might want to be careful at the corners because, well, flames are not as easy to control as, say, like a brush or a dauber. So, Sean, have you ever done any uh, any of this charring of wood type finish before? And what did you do or what would you think if you didn't? How would you tackle it? Uh, no, I've never burned the, my wood before. Um, you know, this is a tough question because, yeah, you're right. And I would probably avoid doing it before the joinery 
and um, I don't know how difficult it is to quote unquote sand it back after you're done. I mean, if it's something rather simple of just running steel wool over it, then I would assemble the entire cabinet and then hit it and then sand it back. Um, but again, I don't know how easy that is. If it's a lot of work, it's going to be extremely difficult to, to do this on the inside whenever the case is done. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think your only option again, I've not done this before, so it would be to, to do after it's assembled. I, I don't know. Well, if you were to do it when it's in pieces, what would even be the best way of protecting the tenons? I mean, masking for me, mask tape. tape. Really? You don't think it'll get burnt? Oh, I have. I, I, I'm just joking. Oh, <laughs> I was thinking like tinfoil or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. I was like, really? I mean, that's that's not a bad idea. You could definitely you know, yeah, try that. I, I, I think they call those like Shoji Bon or something like that. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, something like that. Shoji Bon, Shogi Bon, something like that. It's something like that. There's, there's count. I've, I've actually watched a few YouTube videos on it. And I'm probably, if I was going to do something like that, which I probably wouldn't, but if I was, I would do it after the piece is complete. Because trying to work with that stuff after it's been burned. And I, I've seen when they do it, they don't char it to the point of deformation of the wood. It's just a burning of the surface layers, the, 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 the skin of the wood, if you will. So they just sand it back, I think, pretty lightly. It's not like they take power sanders to it, but they just sand it back lightly just right. to get rid of the, the, the ashes, so to speak and then put the finish on over it. Um, I would think you'd assemble the piece first and then hit it with the torch yeah. or whatever you're doing with it. I don't think you can use a Bic lighter, but I think they have. I think most <laughs> of those guys are using um, those things that they use to, to, to burn brush with. Yeah. No, no vote of candles. No, none of these tea yeah, candles type yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I, I haven't done it, but if I was going to do it, I think I would put the piece together first and just mm. burn it just enough to get the color on the surface and then sand it back a little bit. Mm. Mm. Well, Garrett, I hope that helps you. Uh, if anything, maybe just do a mortise and tenon joint, uh, test it out, make sure you can get into those corners and then see how it looks sanding it back in that sort of situation. Um, but with that, I believe we are moving on to Sean, Sean. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I had to think. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Uh, so this is from Trent. Hi guys. I'm curious as to whether you guys use metric or Imperial. I'm thinking it makes sense to switch to using metric for fine woodworking. I'm curious your take, what you're using and and if you're using metric, how was the switch and what are your pointers on making the switch? Thanks. And I love the podcast. You know, we've discussed this before uh, on the on the show briefly, and I think it's it, it's a good idea. And I actually had tinkered with the idea of of switching, uh, and, and think it's easier to split. You know, what's let's split a hundred millimeter in, in, in two versus uh, what's half of twenty five and thirteen sixty four. So I mean, it it you know I understand the appeal. It just takes resources because a lot of our tools, if you think about it, have the imperial markings on them from the table saw to depth adjustments on joiners and planers. So you've got to switch that out. 
or you're going to be, you know, doing some conversion. Uh, and then you have to replace, you know, tape measures, combination squares, rulers, and, and it, and it, that stuff adds up, especially if you have something like a bunch of woodpecker equipment, you know, you're going to have to take out a second mortgage to replace that stuff with the, uh, the metric and, <laughs> and a majority of the woodworking content in the magazines, at least here in the U S you know, they're using Imperial for things like plans and drawings and discussions. So that would require constant conversion in your head. And, you know, although it's a neat idea and it makes sense, but at the end of the day, you know, Imperial works for me. I understand it. All of my tools are Imperial. It just doesn't make sense for me to make the switch. So that's, that's kind of why I never, I mean, I tinkered with the idea and, and, and actually went into looking at replacing the, the markings on all of the tools and you know, Imperial works. Is it a pain in the butt sometimes? Yeah. But you can, when you have something crazy like that, you can always switch over to Imperial. Uh, if it's, if it's something like 25 and 1364, it's what's half of that. And if you need to do some crazy, you know, f- uh, math that you need to get real precise and it's a crazy measurement, you know, you can, there's nothing to say that you can't switch over to metric for a couple of measurements and then go back to Imperial for the remainder of the, of the project. Um, you know, it, just in my mind, it's, it's just not worth the effort of switching over my shop. Now there are plenty of Instagrammers out there, uh, like Eric, um, he is, he, he made the switch and, you know, he loves it, but yeah, you know, it, it's just a lot of time and resources to do the switch because you got things like bits. If you're going to do the full, the full switch that you're going to have to replace and, you know, yeah, guys, works. guys like Eric, we're, we're speaking of Eric Clavenger from the Poplar shop. Um, he's always been metric. Yeah. So he's like the exact opposite of us Yeah. where we're doing most stuff in Imperial. And then every now and then we use metric to solve a certain problem. He's, he's exactly the opposite of that. He does everything in metric, but every now and then he's forced to use Imperial. <laughs> Imperial. Yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, he's, he's definitely a person to talk to if you want to ask, you know, how, working in the metric land has been for him. I think um, Jason Bent is also all metric mm. from Bent's workshop. Okay. Well, um, Pui, what about you? Have you considered the idea of switching? No, I haven't considered the <laughs> idea of switching, but I do use metric and I do use it for those odd, like I need to make this drawer exactly this it just seems to be easier to get, you know, a half a millimeter or a whole millimeter or whatever, like 0.1 millimeter, whatever it is, than to use uh, Imperial. But I'm so involved. I'm so used to using it. And when I was first starting to woodwork and I was buying tools and measurement tools, ultimately it was, okay, well, what is exactly like you, Sean, what is mostly being used in the magazines and things that I'm going to be referencing so on and so forth, I'm going to use that. And that was Imperial. And so all the magazines, all the plans that I were using at the were using at the time were all Imperial. So it just made it simple to say, okay, well, let me just go ahead and get used to this and use that and get all my measurement tools in, in Imperial. Uh, if I were to do, if I were to go back, would I go metric? I would say no, probably not, because, again, using a lot of those plans and a lot of the things that I resources that I had in the beginning, 
they were so helpful in the beginning and they all use Imperial. So yeah, I kind of just jumped on the bandwagon there. How about you guy? I know you use both, but you use Imperial more. And yeah, yeah, I definitely use Imperial. The, the biggest problem for most woodworkers in the United States that have been using Imperial for so long, it's hard to visualize metric. So yes. if you say to somebody, it's 280 millimeters, they go. I have no clue. <laughs> yeah. How yeah. long is that? They don't know. Or, oh my God, that's huge. Or what is that, like an inch? They don't know. It, it's hard to visualize in your head. <laughs> so um, I, I do use both. And it really depends on the situation. And, and you guys are both absolutely 100% correct. All my tools are all in Imperial. My anchor stuff is all Imperial. Every scale on every machine I have is an Imperial. So how, how can I use that for metric? Well, the answer is pretty simple. I have a metric, I have a tape measure yeah, that has both metric and imperial. Right. And if I have a, a let's say I'm, <clears throat> here's a really good example. Let's say I'm, I'm building some drawer boxes mm-hmm. and it's just a lot easier to take, you're using um, undermount drawer slides which I do, uh, everything I, at work I do is undermount drawer slides, the blooms. So you just take the opening and you subtract 42 from it, and that's your, with your drawer. Anyway, so it, it's just easier to use metric. So then, but now I've got, I go over to my, let's say I say, like my saw, and I'm going to cut it. But my saw is set up for imperial, but I need to cut it at 355 millimeters, um, or excuse me, 533 millimeters, which we all know how long that is, right? Yeah, sure. That's got it in my head. It's 21 inches. That's the depth of a drawer on a standard cabinet, 21 inches. So 533 millimeters, I know is 21 inches, but let's say I didn't know that. Let's say I'm actually, I need to make it 536 so I'll break out my my tape measure that has both metric and imperial, and I just take a, a a combination square and put it up against that, and I go, okay, five fifty six is twenty one and one sixteenth plus, which means one sixteenth plus a thirty second, and that's as far down as I go a thirty second of an inch, and I go and I set the saw and I cut it, and that's it, real easy. I don't you know use an online calculator or any of that crap. I just go over and and do that. And if it's higher or lower than the actual number, it's a 32nd of inch off. In most cases, it really doesn't matter because as long as you cut everything the same size, that small difference doesn't make much of a difference. Right. Yeah, good point. Uh, depending on what you're cutting. So in that light, I use it quite a bit, especially when I'm trying to figure out, you know, I've got to divide something. I've got a, a an opening, and I know I've got to put four equal-sized drawers in this cabinet that's 36 inches tall, or a bookcase that's, you know, 60 inches tall. It's a lot easier to just measure that opening 
and and divide by you know four with metric, if that yeah. makes sense yeah absolutely so I, I use both mainly to make things easier for myself because mm-hmm. I'm all about doing things the easy way because I'm a very lazy person. Yeah, I definitely do like the uh, the dual system tape measure. I have a fast cap that has metric on the bottom. Yeah, that's and, what I have. Yeah, I really like that a lot because it gives me a little bit of context of you know what 233 millimeters actually looks like. Yeah. When I mm-hmm. first... Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say when I first got my when I first got my Domino, you know that the <laughs> fence adjustment is is metric, and I was like, "What is this? You know, what is this stuff?" I was like, "Are you kidding me?" No, I had to. It, it just it, it you know I was like, "Well, crap!" Now I got to figure out what these are. I mean, it's common sense now, but I'll, you know, being brand new to that, and I was like, "Well, yeah. I'm not familiar with this." Right. So I had it's hard, to, it's hard to visualize it. It is. It really is. You know, it makes it simple on certain calculations, but if you're not familiar with it, it just takes some time to get used to. Can you make the switch Trent? Absolutely. Should you, we can't answer that for you. It just depends on, you know, your situation, yeah, but try, try both. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Buy a metric uh, tape measure that has both of them. See if you yep. can make the switch, but hope that helps guy. I'm going to kick it off to you for your first question. All right. And this question is from Tim in North Carolina. He says, thanks for the best woodworking podcast on the web. That's us. Awesome. Crazy. He's not crazy. He's he's a smart, smart man. I know it's best to joint and turn downhill in regards to grain direction. How does one, (laughs) I don't know if this is a joke or he's serious. I just thought it funny. How does one tell which end of the board was closest to the top or bottom of the tree? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, you look at it. It's a damn good question. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny. Anyway, so downhill in regards to the grain direction, a really good example of that is if you are pattern routing. Let's say you're pattern routing the foot of a table base and it's got rounded ends on it. Right. And you create this jig to do the pattern route on the routing table to, to pattern route that, that end on the, on the thing, which is pattern routing end grain. So that means you want to pattern route downhill or from the top of the foot to the bottom of the foot on the end. Right. Yep. Yep. But if you use that same thing and you, and you flip it, you can't do it now because to go in the in the correct direction so it's not a climb cut, you're going to go against the grain. You're going to go up. So you're going to go from the foot, the bottom of the foot, to the top of the foot. Right, right. And that it's not really... You're going to get a catch. <laughs> you're going to get a catch. And I've had bits explode doing that. Wow. So, um, dang, uh, just doing end grain, not doing, I'm not silly enough to go uphill, but yeah. just doing end grain before I've had uh, a couple bits explode on me and scare the hell out of you yeah. anyways. And that's an example of uphill. You're yeah. going from the, the bottom of the foot to the top of the foot and a pattern around a thing. So that's why sometimes it's better to have two bits one with the, a, 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 the uh, 
the bearing, bearing roller bearing on mm-hmm. the bottom and then another one for one on the top so you can flip the jig over right if that makes sense there are some bits out there that have, and that's why they have bearing on both the top and the bottom. Right. So all you have to do is raise and lower the bit. You can also use a, uh, like the white side ultimate pattern routing bit. I love which that is thing. A, yeah. Which was the original compression bit. And those things are awesome. Yeah. And you can go uphill and downhill with one of those things. I know there's a lot of knockoffs of that bit. I've never tried any of them, so I can't say they they're good or not, but I know I've got two of those bits, one here at home and one at work. And they are every bit as awesome as they, they say they are, but they are ungodly expensive. Oh yeah. Um, But they're worth every penny. If you do a lot of pattern routing, you have anything to add to that? We, not much. It's not a very can, deep question, is it? It isn't. I think the only thing that I can remember in terms of figuring out grain direction was uh, something that I think Chris Schwarz had talked about is uh, the best way to tell is, you know, if you look at the wood and you can see the direction or the grain of the wood and you want to run your hand along with it, kind of like how you would run your hand over a cat. You don't want to go the opposite direction. It'll make the cat angry if you go with the grain. You don't feel any like uh Yeah, but I'm allergic to cats. I can't touch <laughs> Thanks, guy. You could try a porcupine. Porky there you go. Whatever, that's guys. Good, that's good, Sean. <laughs> Sean, you got any extra tips that you can give? No, you got I mean, no, there's not much meat on <laughs> left on the bone on this one. I think you guys got it got it covered. Mm, um, oh, that's, that's fun. Right. I mean, there's you know. Well, let uh, me ask you this. Let's just to just to change direction a little bit. Let's talk about grain direction. How do you determine grain direction on a board, Sean? Um, Where do you look? How do um, you determine that? I look on the edge. Mm-hmm. Look on the edge, not on the face, right? Correct. Yep. 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 I passed that question. That quiz. Ooh. Next, give give we the next question. Oh, great! I'm probably gonna get it wrong. <laughs> right. Well, thanks. Thanks for the question, Tim. It was a. It made us smile, anyways. Yeah, if someone knows the answer to that, let us know. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, uh, Hui, is it to you? Yep. And this question is from Eric. He says, hello, gentlemen. Thank you for taking my questions. I'm planning on replacing my melamine kitchen cabinet doors, drawer fronts with shaker style I make. I'll be using white sides, shaker rail and style set in a router table, and the doors, drawers will be painted. I would like your opinion on material. I th- I was thinking poplar for the rails and styles and MDF for the panels. Also, do you have a preference on type of hinges and brand? My current plan is to use European style using jigs for drilling and mounting. I've never used European hinges, so, so any tips would be greatly appreciated. If you agree, this is the way to go. Keep it up, guys. It's a great show. So thank you for the question, Eric. Uh, yeah, I think uh, poplar rails and styles are fine, uh, and MDF, particularly if you're doing uh, a painted shaker style cabinet. Another one to another material that you might want to look into or possibly use is uh, pink grade maple, so soft maple. Uh, both uh, tend to machine. I, I might say poplar actually machines a little bit easier than pink grade maple. Sometimes maple can burn 
but I've had good success, relatively good success with both of them. And yeah, definitely go with an MDF center panel. I think you'll you'll be happy with that. Uh, anything you would change or maybe a different material to suggest for Eric, Guy? Nope. Are you, right. when, you, when you're referring to maple, are you saying soft maple or hard maple? A soft maple. So soft. Uh, yeah, it's paint grade maple. I'm, I'm I consider is is soft maple. Is that is that not the case? Or I, I've just never heard it called paint grade maple before. I've just hard maple and soft maple. That's what I, I use. Is. I use soft maple whenever I can. I rarely yeah. use hard maple. Yeah, for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, poplar is a good, very good choice. It's inexpensive and it's very easy to machine. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, it's it's really good for painting, and it takes paint really well, and it's it's a fairly tough wood, so yeah, it's really good for cabinets. And MDF door panels are nice because you can glue them in, and it gives a nice thud when you tap. Yeah, on, for sure, for sure. Uh, versus plywood, so yeah, those that's a good that's a good choice. What about Sean? you, Sean? Do you use uh you use ebony for for panels, right? Yeah, I edge glue ebony panels. And for the frames, I paint uh, Babinga. Oh, gotcha. Makes sense. <laughs> no, I agree with what you all have said. You know, MDF, you're going to have nice, stable, flat material. Uh, great to paint, great to glue in, poplar, you know, everything you all pretty much said is is on the money. Are you doing this in like a two-part question here, Hui? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yep, I agree with that. I, You know, um, yeah. Nothing to add. I think that's that's good plan. In, in terms of uh, hinges, uh, I've used I use Bloom a lot of times, and I use the ones that have the uh, three points of adjustment, so uh, it can move the ca- face of the cabinet left and right. It can move it up and down, and it can move it forward and back in terms of how much clearance is from the face frame, or if it's a uh, European style cabinet than just the carcass itself. Um, but I think that's uh, European style hinges are pretty standard as for the brand, the blooms are pretty inexpensive. So I buy those. Um, and in terms of a tip that I can give to you, uh, yeah, definitely use the jigs, but I'll tell you, I use the Craig, uh, hardware installation kit for the European style uh, hinges. And I really like them a lot. I like the, you know, the whole clamp it to the, the door, um, and you know, has the, has the, um, the Forstner bit attached to it, set the depth, you know, so I don't have to go to a, uh, a drill press to do it. I can do it on my bench with, with a hand drill. Uh, what about you guy? Any tips or what are your go-to brands and do you stick generally with European style? Cup well, that's a, that's a, that's a tough question because, the the Euro, saying a European style hinge is very ambiguous. There's eight thousand different kinds of bloom hinges. It's true. If true. you've ever looked at their catalog and you're not familiar with how that the, those things are laid out, it'll confuse the living hell out of you. That's um, true. <clears throat> the biggest first thing you have to ask yourself is: is there a face frame or is it frameless? Right. Yeah. If it's frameless, it's a different style hinge plate that goes on the cabinet. It's designed to go flat on the cabinet versus on the frame. 
Then you can get the hinge plates that go on the frame itself. And there's different types of those too. You have to consider the overlay, whether it's, you know, a half inch, a full overlay, a quarter inch, all that stuff. And you have to look all that stuff up and your, your numbers have to be pretty spot on. So you can have 8,000 different variations. And I'm not trying to put you off of, 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 of doing it, but just make sure you know what you're getting before you, you start. Yeah. My recommendation is to call a company. I'm not advertising for anybody, but if you call a company like CS Hardware, and talk to these folks on the phone. Mm -hmm. They, their, their tech support people are really good. And you tell them what you need, and they'll, they'll get you, they'll get you straightened out. So it tell, take all the guesswork out of it. I've dealt with those folks for several years now, and they've always been very, very good. Um, right. Sean, do you have any? Yeah, I, I definitely agree with uh, Bloom. One of the things that I did was. Uh, probably two years ago is I filled out a form on their website and I got all their catalogs shipped to me for free. And, you know, it's just a matter of looking in the, one of the catalogs for the, the Euro style hinges and they show you pictures of different cabinet configurations with the doors. And you just got to determine what is your, what is your cabinet configuration? And it tells you the model number of the, of the hinge and the plate mm. to, uh, to purchase, um, and then obviously you go online to buy those, uh, the place that guy mentioned sells those obviously, but the, the catalog does a great job of showing you the hinges that you're going to need, you know, based off of the style of cabinet, you know, inset overlay, right. um, you know, if you have some special, uh, situations where you need the door to open and, and have a slide out drawer on the inside of the cabinet to clear the door, they got special hinges for those, but the, the designs on inside of the catalog does a great job of showing you the style and the, the hinge that you need. But he is right. You really have to pay attention because it's easy to get the wrong part number. And, you know, it's best to call someone if you can and discuss that with them. Cause I have purchased the wrong hinges before using the catalog. Mm -hmm. Thankfully it was only four, uh, four hinges, but you know, it's, it's a, it's something that you learn real quick. If you go to install <laughs> these into the wrong hinge, you learn quick. Uh, but the, the catalog is a great reference for that and a good starting point. Yeah. Also, it's especially, it, it, it's really good too, because it'll tell you the setback mm. for the, for the cup in your door, depending right. on the overlay. Right. And what kind of hinge plate you're using. So it might be, you know, like a three, a five or a six millimeter setback. And I use that Craig jig at work. And I, I put a lot of European style hinges in, man. I put a yeah. ton of them in. And that's what I use as a Craig jig. Yeah. Yeah. It works, works really, really well. well. Uh, Bloom also has like this Expel, Excel spreadsheet that has like these uh, macros in it so you can yeah. enter in. Yeah. Have you ever used that? Yeah. I've used that. Yeah. And that, yeah. that helps a lot. They too. have an app too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I've used that a couple of times. Fun. It didn't work very well. I, 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 I got confused. But then again, oh. I'm old. I get confused. Oh, whatever. <laughs> well, uh, hope that helps. I think we are passing it on to Sean. All right. My second and last question. Shop router table or store bought? Pros and cons. And this is from 
T-R-S-Z-K-I. I looked, I didn't see a name. Trisky, whatever. Anyway, Trisky. Yeah, you know, this is a this is kind of a heavy question. Um, you know, I, I think it really boils down to it, it depends on your needs. You know, if you need a custom solution, perhaps to fit a certain area of your shop, um, you're going to be limited with the the sizes of the cabinets that you're going to be able to buy in the store. Um, but they're for the most part, they're all they're, there's only about two different popular sizes of router tables based off of the, you know, the traditional table and then the inker style tables. And, you know, it, it's time versus money. Can you build an elaborate cabinet for less than you can buy one? Absolutely. Um, you know, there are woodworkers that that like to build furniture and they don't like to build jigs or, or shop tools. But, um, you know, you're going to get a whole lot more customization with uh, building this yourself. I know I built my own cabinet. Um, it's not some revolutionary design or anything. It's it's pretty close to a lot of uh, of other cabinets out there because you can only do so much with the router table. You got the router in the middle and you can build around it. So you can do a couple of doors with drawers or you can do more drawers than doors. Uh, you're kind of limited on the design, but if you don't need a lot of storage and you want something to get to work fast, there are a lot of really good uh, store-bought uh, router cabinets that you could use. I know Anchor has a really nice setup that that guy actually uh, demoed and has a couple of videos on. Um, you know, I've not had any experience with like the Craig table, um, but there are some really good brands out there that have some nice tables. They're going to cost more than you could probably build one yourself. Um, but again, it's time versus money. You know, are do you it, it, are you into building shop tools? Because if so, this is a great project. Um, it, it took me, I think a week or two nights and weekends building my cabinet. I designed it in SketchUp and, and I just slapped a cast iron table on top with a router lift. And, you know, it's a really nice router cabinet. that's going to last me, you know, for the rest of my woodworking life. And could I have purchased something that costs less? Absolutely. But it's a custom table that I built using nicer, uh, material. I use cherry and maple for the for the door and drawer fronts. Uh, I think I used Fancy. cherry ply for the case. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> really? That's right. It's yeah. Beautiful. And I'm getting ready to paint. No, I'm joking. But <laughs> you, you get that kind of freedom versus just a, a, you know, a steel base. There's nothing wrong with that. It just depends, you know, on, on you as the woodworker. Do you enjoy building those shop tools? Uh, you can use them as learning experiences for building cabinetry and, and, and doors and whatnot. You know, again, just like the first question, that's not something that we can answer for you, but the, you know, there are pros and cons for both, uh, cons. If you're building it yourself, you got, you got time cons for buying is you got to spend the money. Um, at the end of the day, I would not, me personally would not build a, uh, I wouldn't make my own top. Um, mm -hmm. I really enjoy the cast iron top that I have. It's a beast. It's heavy. It's flat. And, um, I just, you think got the Rockler one, right? Yeah. The Rockler fence, the top and the router lift. And I slapped that on a, on a cabinet that I built and I've got a video out there showing that process as well. Um, you know, but that's, that's kind of my, my thinking on, you know, shop versus store bought, uh, guy, you've had experience with a couple of different router table setups and have you built your own before? Um, and you've definitely put together a couple of different ones. What are your thoughts on? Yeah, I've, I've, I've had more than 
several shop built ones and I've had two commercially made ones. I've had both the woodpeckers and the Ankara. I don't have the woodpecker anymore. I sold it. I do still have the Ankara. That's a, it's a tough question. There's no doubt about it. And the reason I went from building my own to the store bought uh, mainly had to do with time and wanting to get to work. So, I mean, if you've got the, the, the time and you don't have a huge budget, building your own is the way to go. You'll save a, a, a buttload of money, um, but I'd still recommend getting a store-bought router fence. Uh, and there's a lot of good ones out there. Craig makes a good one. Obviously, I'm going to recommend the Ankara. Uh, I've had an Ankara fence for well over 20 years. It's got to be 25 years now. Jeez. Um, and the Woodpeckers is also very good. Uh, those are the ones I'm familiar with and have used before. Jessam, I think, makes a pretty good one, too. I've yeah. I've seen it. I've, I've never used it, but I've seen uh, what they what they do on video and they look really really nice and but none of those are cheap i mean they're expensive so it really depends on your budget and your time you know so let's say you're a here's a really good example where i work in my shop we needed a router table i've got all this tools and all this material i've got all this great stuff there and it's like yeah we need to buy one because we need it now you know what i yep. mean Got to yep. have it. Got to so have it. Got to have it. We got to have it. We got to have it, and it doesn't matter what the cost is. We just have to have it. I shouldn't say it doesn't matter what the cost is, but we don't have time to build it. We just need it now. So we broke out the credit card. We ordered it. It was in a week later, and we put the thing together. Right. You know what I mean? And yep. we were using it that quick. We couldn't have built it that quick. Yeah. And we couldn't have built anything that good that quick. So, I, I don't know. We, you've got like a, a shop-built shop. one, right? Yeah, I have a shop-built one. And I actually agree with Sean. If I were to have it, if I were to do it all over again, I would definitely get a store-bought um, top, but probably build the cabinet. But my, my case is kind of a little bit of a special case because it is one that's sort of custom and has to fit into a specific space that I wanted. And then I also wanted to integrate this older Incra ultra fence that I had that I got for super cheap on Craigslist. I don't know, even seven years ago. It was a long time ago. Well, I shouldn't say a long time ago, long time for me. Um, but yeah, I, I do have was a custom that some built. kind of age reference there. That... It was not, I was just stating was that, that some I should kind of dig. <laughs> no, all I'm trying to say hey, is that hey, you know, for me, okay, I can, I can still kick your ass. I believe it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, his the, nap though after his nap after his nap. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, you know it, it. It is a custom built one. Um, man, it would be really super nice to have a cast iron top and maybe just a custom cabinet. So I do like the idea of having a nice cast iron top, Sean. And I definitely like that. Also, one thing to really consider is if you are doing a custom sort of setup like that, if you are putting in a table saw, you are restricting yourself to the accessibility of the sides that you can 
um, access for the router table itself. So just keep that in mind. You know, it's one of the things that I do have to deal with. So it, it's not terrible and I use it just fine, but just keep that in mind. I don't have access to the end of the router table because, well, cast iron table saw is there. Other than that, yeah, I mean, I'm happy that I did it. And if for some reason, you know, of course, this, this router table is built like a tank. It ain't going anywhere anytime soon. It's like double thick, you know, MDF with, you know, uh, melamine or formica on top and bottom, plastic laminate on top and bottom. It ain't going anywhere. It's extremely stable. But if it were to not be, you know, good anymore, I would probably just go with the store-bought one because I don't want to have to do that again. It was it was very time-consuming to build. So. Yeah, that that is one pro of buying store-bought. Like, if you were to get the Inker setup that Guy has, you've got storage for your bits, you've got a great table, you've got a great fence, and the dust collection is pretty amazing. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I built my cabinet underneath. It, that, that took me time. On the Inkra? Yeah. I built the cat. I built like custom cabinetry inside the, inside the, oh, the aluminum frame. Yeah, I thought yeah. that was something that you could buy from them. No, no. I, I don't know of any router table that has a steel frame underneath that actually comes with the cabinet itself. Huh. Yeah. I can't think of any. I, I built all that stuff, Sean. And it yeah. took me a while to do. But it, even if I didn't have all that stuff, that's just storage. The rest of the table could be put together in an afternoon. Yeah. And that, and you that, use it. that router enclosure you have, too, is is a nice, nice setup, yeah. too. It is nice. So I don't know if you guys remember. It was maybe about... Uh, well, I don't know when it came out. But, you know, these magazines... And a lot of YouTubers and whatnot, they'll say the ultimate router table, right? Yeah. And all it is, it's your router table. And all it is, is just has cabinets and storage underneath. But well, it's the ultimate the router ultimate. table. It's the ultimate. That's what, that's what makes it the ultimate. It's like, it's just a cabinet. That's all it is. Are you looking at my page right now? Is that what you're, no. you're calling me out? Mine no. says that too. Because you know what <laughs> yes, mine says? Ultimate router the table. The ultimate router table. <laughs> so does mine. <laughs> does it really? Yeah. I, think, that, I mean, that's what makes it ultimate. It's, it's got a cabinet underneath. Every single one I've seen is the ultimate. I was like, well, what's different about oh, mine's it? Mine's the ultimate because it is the ultimate. Everybody well, you know, just a cheap knockoff. You <laughs> have to make it stand out. because of Well, mine's ultimate because it's ultimate. Guys is ultimate, but mine is the ultimate. Oh, gotcha. The okay. ultimate. Okay. Whatever, guys. Right. Whatever. <laughs> you got to stand out. <laughs> All, right. All right. Well... Terziski, Terziski, ter- whatever. <laughs> Let us know which which way you which way you go. But I'm going to pass it off to Guy for his last question. All right. So this is from Brian, and Brian says, "Hey, I've written in before, and appreciate you answering my questions." Well, thank you, Brian. I have another question that I would love some guidance on. I was wondering if you had any tips on cleaning up glue squeeze out on inside corners. This is a great question. I really like this one. The majority of my work, I'm using Titebond 2. I've tried letting the glue gum up and scrape it and also tried wiping it right away with a wet cloth. The orbital sander doesn't fully clean out the inside corners and sand the corners by hand and the rest of the piece with an orbital sander 
tends to show a subtle difference in how those areas take the finish. Any tips would be a huge help. Thanks, Brian. So I'm going to do something a little bit unusual. I'm going to step back here because I don't want to give an answer. And then you guys have nothing left. Oh, no, Um, no, no. You're not going to. (laughs) So I'm going to hand it off to Sean first. I like this. I like this approach. I'm going to take a question and then I'm going to pass it off. (laughs) (laughs) I've got an answer. Yeah. Um, I just just want to pass it off to Sean. Pre-finished before. Game over. Oh, that's a good one. Pre-finished. That is a good point. All right. Well, yeah. I'm not going to say anymore. I'll pass it off to Hui. <laughs> uh, so uh, I've seen and I've used the straw technique. So taking a straw, shoving it in that corner. <clears throat> Why? I don't know. I just. <laughs> yeah. What if? Why? <laughs> what if? Uh, you, I don't know. I'm just trying to come up with something. <laughs> you just trying to chump the stump, uh, stump the trump, a uh, chump. Uh, guy, have, <laughs> I can't even talk right now. Guy, have all right. Back to guy. Come on. Okay, if if I do get glue squeezed out in corners, which I do, not necessarily in corners of a piece, but when I've got just two pieces of wood coming together in a 90 degree and there's a corner there, let's say like a table leg to an apron or something like that. Um, Actually, I use the back end of a glue spreader that has a little spatula on the end of it. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I take that and I stick it in there while it's still wet and I scrape the excess glue off. And then I take, you know, a wet rag, it's usually t-shirt material. And I stick that same spatula end with one layer of that t-shirt material. And I go in there and I clean the corner out with it. Yeah. That's what I do. Or I use, a, I use a toothbrush. Yeah. And a cup of water. Oh, you took yeah. my next answer. Oh yeah. Toothbrush. Ah. I've done that. That's fine. I'm all out of answers. Yeah, the (laughs) the toothbrush works works well. Um, You know, the problem with that that sometimes that I find is it just smears it around a little bit, so you can't. Mm -hmm. You you know, you got to make sure you wipe up right behind it. But it's good for for getting out of those. You know, way down in the corner, way down on the edge that a you know a thick towel won't get. I I like that idea too. Yep. 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 Come Uh, on, we give us one more. Give us one more. Uh, you could blue, use blue painter's tape on the inside corners, or you could also use, what was I going to forget? Scraper. Yeah. Card scraper. I've done that before. But you got to be you careful because you're a lot of times you're going against the grain. True. And that's the thing too. You know, you're getting all that stuff in there and you've got to sand it afterwards. Mm-hmm. You got to sand with the grain. So you're like these little tiny, you know, half inch strokes with your hand sander in there with a piece of sandpaper. You know what I mean? Yep. Yep. And what Brian is saying is absolutely true that if if you don't finish it the same as the other parts of the cabinet, it's going to take finish differently. Yeah. It's going to look different. Especially for putting a stain on it. Usually I'm pre-finishing, so I don't usually get into that issue, but yeah, I mean, everything that we said I've done before other than the, um, uh, the spatula, I have not used that but I should use that. Yeah, it like works that. really well. Yeah. I was digging around. Actually, I had to put some Bondo on a piece today. <laughs> Uh-oh, so, what happened? Uh, no, it was it was planned. So oh, gotcha. okay. I'm building a, a, a bust 
stand for some office somewhere. Anyways, so I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm going to use contact cement and veneer on it, but I've got to get it flat first. And there's some areas that I, you know, I just screwed and glued this thing together. So I've got to put, I put some Bondo on it. But anyways, I was looking for some, the Bondo hardener and I was in this tub on the storage shelf and I'm digging through it, looking for the hardener. And I, I found something I haven't seen in years because they stopped making it. Waxy lit. What, what is it? Waxy lit. Waxy You're going to have lit? to tell us what that is. Waxy lit. Spelled just like it sounds. They don't make it anymore. And what it is, it's a, it's a liquid and you, you, you can take it and spread it with your finger real thin between the joints before you glue it up. And after the glue dries, it just peels right off. What the heck is it? It's waxy lit. Yeah, but what I found, is I it? I found a whole tube of it, brand new, never waxy opened. Lit? I'm like trying to I think I'll put it. it on eBay and start the bidding <laughs> at $10,000. You can't get this stuff anymore. Was it cause cancer or something? L-E-T? I have no idea why it went off the market. I know a couple guys that, that, that have used it before and love the hell out of it. And then I know a couple guys that I've talked to that say, Oh, that stuff's horrible. Blah, 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 blah. So I, I, I really don't know. I've used it a couple times and I really like it. I'm searching so, on the internet. I can't, I still can't find it. Waxilet. Waxy lit. W a X I L I T. Waxilet. Oh, I found it. Yeah. Lee Valley used to sell it. And uh, anyways, they don't make it anymore. They haven't made it for years. It's very, it's hard to get. It's impossible to get. And I found a whole brand new tube of it. So if anybody out there wants to send me a big check, I've got a brand new tube of waxylate for you. But that stuff's pretty cool too. Okay. I know that, that does not help Brian out at all. <laughs> Send him your stick of waxy lit. Of course yeah. it does. Yeah. 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 Why, why are you holding out? Uh, he's got Come another on. question here. You know, the orbital sander doesn't fully clean out. You got to be really careful with an orbital sander mm-hmm. yep. going into the corners. Yeah, it's round. Um, yeah, it can cause yeah. a lot of damage yep. if you're not careful. Um, I tend to stay away from that. And, and, we, I think, really hit the nail on the head when he said pre-finish. No, that was Sean. Okay, Sean. <laughs> no, listen here. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, it. I'm sorry. Look, I'm sorry. I had a good answer for once. You better give me that credit. Okay. <laughs> Sean uh-huh. had the ultimate answer. Oh, snap. Okay. That's which, right. Which is pre-finish. Yes. Yeah. So Try to steal my thunder. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's a really good option. Uh, if you're not going to do that, the, the, the simplest, quickest way to do it is a toothbrush and water. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You'll be no good to go. Sands or butts about it. Fastest and easiest. And you don't even need one of those fancy vibrating toothbrushes, just a regular old toothbrush. <laughs> All so, right. Is that it? That's it. So I guess since we're done with that question 
it's time to talk about what we've got going on in our shops. Yay. So, Sean, what do you have going on in your shop? I spent the last weekend cleaning up, uh, and it took me an entire weekend because I typically try to clean my shop. I'll stop and clean mid-project every couple of days if I, you know, just make sure to keep it clean so that way I'm not tasked with a full weekend of cleaning. But I went months without cleaning anything in my shop. And I had, I have crap everywhere. I have dust everywhere. I have chips everywhere. And it's, it's a mess. So that has uh, been the task. And the next project is going to be, I'm going, going to uh, take some time and um, make some veneered boxes. Like um, I'm going to build a miter sled first so that I can dial in the miters. And then I'm going to veer off down, you know, making some, some really nice veneered boxes. I want to, I want to dial in and hone that craft and making, not to me, they'd be considered high end, but you know, I want to get that process down. I want to get a nice, a nice finishing recipe down. I want to, you know, I want to dabble in that field a little bit and, and Mm. get my, you know, hone the skill of installing some hinges, uh, some nice brass hinges and get that to where there's no, there's no gaps. There's nothing, you know, I want to get my processes down for that because I I like making boxes guy. I know you do too. They're, they're fun to make and you can, with veneer, you can make them look and use whatever you want and make them look as awesome as you want. So that's kind of what I'm going to be uh, focusing on probably for the next cool. couple months. Um, knock out a couple of those boxes. Um, I'm glad I bought a two foot by two foot bag because uh, I'm going to be using it a lot. And uh, it's just so much easier to to deal with than that, than that four by four bag. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what I've got going on. I'm, I'm waiting on some supplies to, to come in, uh, mainly the, the hinges and the jig that I'm using for that. But yep, this weekend I'm going to, uh, build the miter sled so that I can knock those out at the, at the you table. Build an so. ultimate miter sled? <laughs> no, I think I'm just going to go with, uh, subpar, subpar <laughs> miter sled. <laughs> Man, I've not even turned a camera on in my in my shop in probably six months. I've only posted on Instagram like probably five times in the past six months. So uh, it's been nice. Uh, I don't know when I'm going to turn that stuff back on. It's just it's been nice not dealing with that crap. I'll tell you. Yeah, yeah it'll be it, it'll get you it'll get you fired up again making those boxes. I'm sure. Yeah, that's cool. That's yep, that's what I have going on. Um, Hui, what about you? So, I actually, since the last time we actually talked about what was going on in the shop, I've, I've done quite a bit. So, I made a couple of planters for, well, they're not planters, they're plant stands, planter stands for uh, my sister-in-law. And while we were doing it, I thought, you know, I ought to make a couple for my wife. And I made a couple for my wife, and they, she really liked them a lot. It goes well in our kitchen for the two plot, pots that we have. Um, I also installed all the ducting and got my dust collector installed in my new shop. So that means that my shop is ready to move in. And this weekend, I have planned to have the uh, a moving company uh, with a nice big lift gate. Come to my old shop and get everything. Do it yourself. Be a man. Right. Right. Pair (laughs) we. Because I can just pick up, you know, my table saw and put it on a trailer. Um, Yeah, you can't. No, oh, I need a hmm. lift gate. <laughs> oh, 
So finally, I've got that scheduled for Saturday. Really excited about that. Really happy to be finally moving my shop, get my old house on the market. And I also started on a, I guess maybe what you call a modern farmhouse table. It's just a table with splayed legs and uh, two and a half inch thick, you know, material. Uh, for the leg assembly and whatnot. And it's actually for Rockler because they're using, they just came out with a new beadlock jig. Um, pretty interesting jig. Uh, it's kind of like a glorified uh, doweling jig. Um, and I'm building this table uh, for them as alongside of, you know, them um, bringing out their new product, their new uh, beadlock jig. What did they change in the beadlock? So rather than, uh, drilling out and then using a different type of sleeve to chisel out the material. What they have is um, uh, the drilling template itself slides. So you drill two holes if it's a half inch. I think it's three holes if it's the quarter inch or three eighths inch. You drill out the two holes in the A position, then you shift it over in the B position, and then you just drill the top hole. And that gives the three uh, overlapping holes that you would need for the beadlock in the half inch thick material, half inch thick beadlock, excuse me. And for the other material, it'd be three holes. It's smaller holes. And uh, yeah, it's pretty neat. There's no need for that uh, little template sleeve to chisel out anymore. You just use your, your drill. That's it. So it's pretty cool. Pretty cool little uh, mechanism. That's what I've got going on in the shop. How about you, Guy? What do you got? Uh, I've been working on my desk. Looks I great. Was, I was out for a couple of weeks. I, I didn't get anything done on it. So um, I had other stuff going on on the weekends. So I'll be back at it this weekend. And I got to build the drawer boxes. I bought. I decided to go with undermount drawer slides. I was toying with the idea of just using regular friction fit drawers. And I said, hell with it. I'm going to go with the, the undermount drawer slide. So I got to build those. Mm-hmm. I still have to, you know, make all the, all the drawer faces are all going to be MDF and uh, veneered. Yeah. So I got to do those and I have to make the top yet. But this thing, you know, I, I got, <laughs> there's 10 drawers in this thing. Right. So I ordered 10 of the, the bloom undermount hinges. Do you have any idea how much weight that is? Those Tenet? two, those boxes, no, 21 inch, the boxes of, of drawer slides. 48 pounds. It, it, it weighs almost as much as the whole desk does. <laughs> They're heavy. I couldn't believe it. I'm picking up like, Oh my God. So it's going to really add to the weight of it. Um, yeah, but, uh, yeah, that's what I've got going on there. And at work, I got all kinds of crap going on. They just told me today, I got to make six more of these Parsons tables. I hate these things. (laughs) Those, those are the ones where they got the the legs that come up through the top. Yeah. Yeah. It's a stupid ass design. Number one. (laughs) Number two, these tables. That's my next build, by the way. No, I'm kidding. It's a, it's a horrible design because it's just, it's just, 
you're, you got to put a gap in there and the gap is never going to be consistent. So the other thing is these things are, you know, like eight feet long and 10 feet long and 12 feet long. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. And I got to make them out of hickory. Oh, oh. lucky. There's, there's six of them. Yeah. And Enjoy. I, I, I had to go through this before and I, I, I wanted to blow my brains out. <laughs> you and did. They, they told the me they came, they came up and told me today I've got to make six more for this. I, I said well, I thought we're not doing because we said we're not doing anything hickory anymore. And I was so happy. Well, if it's a customer and they want to match what they have, I guess we're doing hickory. You did too good of a job, guy. That's why. <laughs> I'll, I'm going to intentionally screw these up so they'll never <laughs> order from us again. Yeah. Ugh. Anyways, enough about me. So I guess that's going to do it for this show. Yes? Yep. Are we done? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. And we'd like to thank everyone who left us a five-star review on iTunes. It does really help us in search rankings. And, of course, we would appreciate the support and feedback. Uh, please remember that this podcast is here to answer questions for the woodworking community. And last, last episode, we asked for more questions. And we got a really good response. So... Keep it coming, guys. And if you have those questions, uh, the best way to get them to us is through the podcast contact page at woodshoplifepodcast.com or DM Sean at woodshoplife. At woodshoplife <laughs> on Instagram. And I can be found at Guy's Woodshop on Instagram is the best place to find me. Where can you be found at we? You can find me at Alabama Woodworker, Alabama Woodworker on Instagram. AlabamaWoodworker.com is my website. Sean, where can we find you? Uh, you can find me at Simple Cove and SimpleCove.com. All right. Very good. And uh, we'll catch you guys in a couple weeks. See you. Catch you Bye. later. Enjoy. Bye now.